While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Good morning, everyone. It is a nice day, isn't it? It's been a nice fall. We're looking forward to a nice winter, maybe. The text we read talks about the blood of Jesus. It's, it's only two texts in the New Testament that actually talk this way before the book of Acts. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about the blood of Jesus on two occasions. This text probably helps us a little bit to understand the other event that is stated in John chapter 6. Now in John chapter 6, the text says, beginning at verse 53, and you'll remember it when I start reading it, I'm sure. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me, and I in him. So now the text that we read in Matthew chapter 26 talks about his blood of the New Testament that was shed for the mission of sins. This text talks about drinking his blood or actually imbibing him or taking him into our very being. Now that's basically, I think, what he's referring to. Now, not everyone could appreciate the implications contained in this statement at the Passover supper. Not everyone could appreciate that. And you might not be able to appreciate it unless you have some background in how God has used this term blood in the Old Testament and the, and the usage of blood itself. This is because Jesus was referring to the usage of blood under the aegis of the Old Testament law, the law of Moses. That's, that's how you can understand it. That's how I can understand it. That's how they could understand it. If we did not have that background, we would have no way of understanding what Jesus is talking about when he's referring to blood. Now, it was understood in the framework of the sacrificial offering and the purifying rituals of the Israelite nation. That's how they use blood. Other nations had no such context, had no idea what that meant. Other nations perhaps offered children, people on altars, their enemies. They shed blood without much thought about it. But the Israelites, when they shed blood, they had to think about it. They had to think about what they were doing. It wasn't just a matter of bringing an animal to an altar and watching it burn or bleeding it out. Now, generally the Old Testament people or the people of the nations before the time of Christ actually strangled the animal and kept the blood within it. Anyway, other nations did not have the context that Israel had. And in order to appreciate the usage of blood as relating to God, it's necessary to understand what God had said to His people about blood. There are 329 references in the Old Testament to blood. 
Now, sometimes it talked about the blood of the enemy. Sometimes it talked about the blood of an animal. Sometimes it talked about the blood of a friend. Sometimes it talked about blood shed in a war. But there are only two references in the New Testament, that's why I mentioned before the cross, that have anything to do with the blood of Jesus. However, there are 101 references in the New Testament to blood. But only two before the time of Christ. Before the time of the cross, I mean. This is at Matthew 26 and the Passover. Now, blood had a special meaning for God as he stated in the few texts that we're going to read. And I'm going to ask you to think about something and then remind me before I get to the end. I want to tell you something about Cain and Abel. If I don't remember it, somebody tell me. Somebody remind me before I finish up. Okay, blood had a special meaning to God. A special meaning, as he stated in a few texts. Genesis chapter 9, verse 3 through 6, says this. Every moving thing that lives shall be meat for you. He's talking to Adam and Eve. And he said, even as a green tree which I have given you all things. But the flesh, no, he's not talking about Adam and Eve, he's talking to Noah. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. And surely the blood of your, your, your lives will I require at the hand of every beast, will I require it. And the hand of man at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Notice what he's saying. The life of man is in the blood. Now people did not understand that completely until almost this last century. Didn't understand it. Didn't actually appreciate what was going on. Matter of fact, the blood of man trans transmits nutrients throughout the body and it also carries away the waste and it carries oxygen from the lungs to the rest of the body. And so basically, without blood, the body will die. And we know that. When a person is bleeding to death, that's actually what we mean. They're bleeding to death. Their life is seeping out of them. It's going out either on the ground or in, in some container. He said, At the hand of every man's brother will, uh, will I require the life of man. Whoso sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. Leviticus 17 at verse 11 tells us this. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. Now think about this seriously. Because we're going to talk about the reason why God gave animal blood on the altar for a sacrifice. Because he's telling them that the life of that animal is in the blood. It's in the blood. So when they see the blood leaving the animal, they know the life is leaving the animal. And he said, I have given you that to make an atonement for your souls, to bring you back to me. That's what he's talking about. Deuteronomy 12.23 says, Only be sure that you eat not the blood, for the blood is the life, and you may not eat the life with the flesh. You can't eat the life with the flesh. You can't eat them together. At the inauguration of the Passover... It was the blood. Now, here's some things that God used blood for. When the Passover was inaugurated, when, when the uh, children of Israel were, were in Egypt, and God said, I'm going to pass over you tonight. The angel of death 
passed over that the country. He said, take the blood of a lamb and sprinkle it on the doorpost. And when he sees the blood on the doorpost, everyone in that household will be safe. So it was where God had stated, they were related. These people were thereby related to God by blood. That's what he's saying. Exodus 12, 7, they shall take the blood and strike it on the two side posts, on the upper door post of the houses, wherein they shall eat it. And it was used to ratify and to seal the most important document that man had ever entered into on this earth. Now, what we have to think about is, how important is blood? That's really what we have to think about. What is the significance of blood? It is life. It's life. And so there's not anything any more important with man than his blood. Or with an animal. Without the blood, you don't live. You can live without a kidney. You can live without several of your organs, but you cannot live without blood. When the blood's gone, you're dead. Because that's the life that's been spilled. So when God decided to make an agreement with man... He made it by blood. A blood oath was taken. A blood oath. Sometimes you see in movies where a couple of young guys are going to make a blood covenant, so they cut their hand and put their hands together, making a blood covenant. Well, they got that from the Old Testament, basically. This, this is what, where this has come from, in, in all essence. In Exodus chapter 24, verse 4 through 8, it says, Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and rose up early in the morning and built an altar unto the hill and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men to the children of Israel which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. Before we get too much further along, I want to tell you that there are two purposes for sacrifices in the Old Testament. And you get that as you read it and read it and read it and read it and look at it and study it and go over it over and over. Finally, you realize what's going on. On the sacrifices, when God called for a sacrifice, He was calling for them to bring an animal to Him so that they could share a meal together. Congeniality, you see. A bonding ceremony, basically. They took the sacrifices to the altar and God let them eat some of it and He took the other. They offered it by fire. So they were eating. They were having a feast. They were having a happy time with God when they brought the sacrifice. That was one of the purposes of it. The other purpose was the shedding of the blood. And we're going to talk about that as we go along. But basically, the sacrifices were when they were eating their feast with God. He was inviting them to a dinner and they were bringing the dinner. They were bringing it. They were making their offering and God was blessing them so that they would have plenty. That's what these sacrifices were all about. But now look at the blood. He's using the blood for different reasons. Moses took half of the blood. You remember now, God said, don't you drink the blood. This isn't part of our meal. We don't, blink, we don't drink blood at our dinner together, at our meals. Anyway, here, here it says, Moses took half of the blood after they'd made their offerings, after they'd made their sacrifices, and put it in basins. Half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the blood of the covenant and read in the audience of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. That's their oath. They're taking an oath. What kind of an oath? A blood oath. 
Wow. Now you can't get any more serious than making your life an oath. Taking a life and making that life part of the oath. Okay? Men and women get married. And you know what they say to each other? Till death do us part. That's an oath. It's not a blood oath, but it's an oath. When you stand before the uh, court of law, you pledge to and take an oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. That's an oath. You give your word. Here they gave their word and it was sealed with blood, which is life. Now that's the seriousness of it. All that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people. So they're, they're getting a dose of it. And he said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. So, in the Old Testament animal sacrifices, the blood was drained before the offering was made. The impact on the human psyche is what's important here. Now, why, why use blood for these occasions? Why drain the blood? Why bring the sacrifice and watch the blood drain out? That was to make an impact on the person's psyche and on their heart as that blood was being drained. They were seeing blood flow from that animal. God was saying, with this blood, with this blood, you are recognizing how important your relationship to me is. It's costing the blood of an animal of life in order for you to recognize that there's something between you and me, which is sin, basically. And that's what all the sacrifices were about in the Old Testament in addition to the meal. So when they shed the blood, they should have felt the impact of the fact that it was costing a life for them to be able to approach near to God. Now that's serious business. That's extremely serious. The impact on the human heart was to watch the life flow out of the animal. The person was forfeited, the, the, the person was offering the animal as a sacrifice for his own mistakes, for his own missteps, for his own behavior or misbehavior. A life was forfeited for his mistake, for the supplicant. When the person offering the sacrifice realized that a life was draining from a living creature, the finest and the firstborn of every flock is what God asked for. Now get it. They brought this animal and basically the one that, that was used for the atonement was, was a lamb. And they brought that lamb and they were to hold it and cut its throat and watch the blood flow from it and feel the impact of the life that was being given because of their misbehavior. If they didn't misbehave, they didn't have to do that. They didn't have to do it. But they had to. Now, it was intended to make a deep impression on that individual. That was the purpose of it. So you'll understand how important this is between you and God. The fact that you've sinned, that you've formed a barrier, you've sinned, and now then it's going to cost a life for you to come close to me because I'm holy. I'm not like you, and you are, you're not making it. You need to step it up. But they couldn't. 
It was intended to hurt them to watch while an innocent life slipped away. Jesus said they quit feeling that. After a while, they quit feeling that. Didn't make an impact. Now it becomes a ritual. Now it's a ritual. Now I want, I want to say something, and I want to say it very clearly. God was not being appeased by the offering of animal sacrifices. It's not as if God is angry and therefore I can make him happy by giving him an animal and letting him, letting him burn in front of him or shedding all that blood. They were not appeasing God. What they were, should have been doing was feeling, feeling the seriousness of what they were doing and what it was costing, preparing them for the time when someone was going to come who had so much importance and was so far superior and meant so much more and have that blood shed for their behalf. Those sacrifices and offerings faded into disuse. You know, they quit making them. They don't make sacrifices anymore. Don't spill any more blood. Why? Well, I'll tell you one reason why, very quickly. Because it hurt too much. Because it bothered them. It got to them. It would get to me, wouldn't it get to you? To know that I'm killing an animal because of what I did and watch the blood flow from that innocent animal. It got to hurting too much. Plus, it was expensive. He would, God was asking for the finest. Why the finest? So that they understand the seriousness and the importance of what they were doing. The finest and the best. The firstborn. You say, well, think about it. I come from Texas. I come from a place where people have a great place of great value on animals, especially upon cattle and upon bulls because they, they, they breed a, a stock that's strong and sturdy and makes a lot of money for them. And the best bulls are well-bred bulls and they, they have a cert, they're certified and they're very valuable. Now can you imagine someone offering that bull because of some mistake they made, killing that bull. Well, you say, no one's going to do that. No, they were not. And they, the people in Israel, the children of Israel, weren't going to either. They're going to stop that because they, they, were, they were afraid it was going to hurt their, hurt their flock. Plus the fact that it was tearing them up inside. Quit that. It was having a psychological impact that they didn't like and a financial impact that they didn't like. The penalty for sin was too extreme. Now again, God is not being appeased. God is simply wanting them to understand the importance of their life to Him and wanting to get back together with Him so that He could enfold them in His arms and say, you're mine and you're trying to live right. So they made substitutes. We, we don't take the finest anymore. Why don't, I, why don't you take the firstborn and finest anymore? Too expensive. Too expensive here and it's too expensive in my wallet. The lessons weren't learned. Malachi 1 at verse 6. Listen. A son honors his father and a servant his master. So a son honors his father. What would a son do with a father? If, if the father needed something, would the son give him the, the least of his possessions? Or would the son step up and say, I'm going to give you the best that I have, Dad. I know you need this. And this is what I'm going to give you. I know you want this. 
I know you want th- to make this impression on me. But he said, he said, a servant honors his master. If I be a father, where's my honor? If I be a master, where's my fear, says the Lord of hosts, unto you, O priest, that despise my name. And you say, where have we despised your name? He said, you offer polluted bread on my altar. Even the bread that they brought, that they shared with God, with the priest, and with one another in those feasts, what, what were they doing? They were using the leftovers. I know I've heard a lot of people say they don't like leftovers. They don't eat leftovers. Well, they were, leaving, they were offering their leftovers to God at, in that feast, in that, din, that dinner they were having. Why, why have a big meal? Because a lot of it's going to go to waste. Some of it's going to be burned up with the fire. Why, why give the best? You see what we're talking about? Where have we polluted you? And you say the table of the Lord is contemptible. Not worth it. If you offer the blind for sacrifice, guess what they were doing? They were going through their flocks and herds and they were getting the sick because the sick's going to die anyway. Mercy killing. Huh? Offering the blind because the blind have no value to them. And he said, isn't this evil? You offer the lame and the sick. Isn't this evil? Offer it now unto your governor. Will he be pleased with you or accept your person, says the Lord of hosts? Well, they had just quit it. Now, to fully understand then, the death of Jesus and the value of the blood that he gave for us. Now, let's get back out of the Old Testament. So we can look back in the Old Testament and say, okay. Now, we know why the blood was, was demanded. He demanded the blood to be shed so that the person could feel the impact of shedding a life by shedding the blood because I have erred, I have sinned. And so this is what it's costing. It's costing that life. And in order to please God, in order to have a meal with Him and be reunited with Him, to be, He's my Father, I'm His son. I'm His child, I'm His daughter. Okay. But we must evaluate the cross in, in these terms. How important was the life of Jesus Christ? How valuable was it? would it be? He was not an ordinary man. He was not an ordinary person. He did not exist on the fringe of humanity. He wasn't a, he wasn't a roustabout. He wasn't someone who just came and went. He wasn't somebody common that anybody could come along and say, well, he's just no different than we are. He wasn't a, a disposable criminal. They disposed of him like a criminal, like he wasn't worth anything. He wasn't a derelict of society with no intrinsic value. He was God in the flesh. God in the flesh. What does that do to your heart when you think about the fact that you helped carry him to the cross and watched his blood seep from his body because you made a mistake? Because you made a mistake. That's why he died. Is that, that, do you feel anything here about that? Does that bother you? His value cannot be compared to a million or a billion or a hundred billion souls like him. But his, his blood was not atten- intended to appease the wrath of God. Now you can study about the wrath of God and the anger of God and you can see where men have irritated God and men have driven him 
to heat up his anger before. But when we talk about you and sin and what God wants you to do, when, when Jesus died on the cross, it was not to make God happy. It was not to appease Him and to quell and quench His anger. It was not to throw fire retardant upon God's fierce wrath. It was because God loved you and He wanted you to feel the pull on your heart that would take you to Him, that would bring you to Him. The fact is that I have sinned and therefore I should die. That's a fact. That's a fact. Now I can't take an animal, but I did take my Savior Jesus to the cross. My lifeblood should flow from my veins into the, into the earth. And I should be swallowed up in death and not rise again because I've sinned. Because I've, I've uh, disgraced myself my family, my humanity, actually, I, I've, I've sinned, and what can I do about it? But Jesus stood in my place and he said, Bill, you can't do anything about it, but I can. My life, I'm going to give my life for you, for you. And my blood will be shed on your behalf so that it will, I will die instead of you. The death of Jesus redeemed me and gave me life. Ephesians 1 at verse 7 says, in whom we have redemption through His blood. Some of these texts are so easy to say, aren't they? But it's not that easy to comprehend. We have to comprehend them. He redeemed us. He purchased us according to the riches of His grace. 1 Peter 1 at verse 18 says, for as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. Precious blood of Christ. He wasn't an animal. He wasn't a cast off of society. He was the gem. He was a crown jewel in the crown of God. Jesus was. So His blood was much more than the blood of anyone else who could have died with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. First John 1 John 1.7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, he is, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. His blood cleanses us. Much more then, being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. The wrath, of course, comes because of the darkness of death. The wrath comes because... God will take vengeance on all those who sinned and would not repent from their sins. Colossians 1.20 says, Having made peace through the blood of His cross, peace with God, and to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say, whether they be things in earth, things in heaven. Now the peace comes because we have, it's not that God has all of a sudden become compassionate toward us, it's because we all of a sudden have become concerned about God. That's where the peace comes. We acknowledge we're sinful. We cannot save ourselves and that Jesus died on our personal behalf. He died for me. That involves faith. My faith in Him transforms me from a creature born bound for an eternity of death into a new creation for eternal life. And the Bible says symbolically, and a lot of these texts that we read about or that we're reading are symbolic texts, 
It says, I have been washed in his blood. Revelation 1 verse 5. Now, no one was ever washed in the blood of an animal. So he's talking about, in the blood of Christ, no one's actually been washed in the blood, physically in the blood of Jesus. But we're washed in his blood symbolically because his blood has made us clean. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot, Purge your conscience. That's what he's talking about. That's where he's trying to get to. Trying to get to your heart. Trying to get to your conscience. When you see the blood of Jesus oozing out on the cross, falling, being shed, draining from his body, when you see that, it purges your conscience. You say, if God cares that much for me, that he would allow his son to die on my behalf, so I don't have to die. How should I be affected? Jesus said unto her, talking to uh, Martha, John eleven twenty five. after she came to him and, and uh, her brother Lazarus had died, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He's talking about life. Where did life come from? Life comes from the blood. That's where the life comes from. And that's what Jesus was talking about in, in the book of Matthew, read in chapter 26, when he read about the Lord's Supper. In John chapter 6, when he said, He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood has life in himself. The other factor that involves blood is the sealing of an agreement, a covenant. Signed in blood. It's intended to impress upon us the importance of that document. Just as Moses sprinkled the people with his blood, then he sprinkles us with his blood when we take our oath. Now keep that in mind. Everything in the Old Testament was a physical picture of what happens to us, literally, in our hearts and our minds. That's where God lives. In our hearts and minds, and I'm not talking symbolically now, I'm talking about effectively. When we have a relationship with God, we have a relationship that involves spirit to spirit, heart to heart. He sprinkled his blood upon our agreement. I have an agreement with God. I gave an oath. You know what my oath was? I said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's my oath. That's what I said. That's what you said. That's why the text says that with our mouth confession is made unto salvation. Okay? Hebrews 10.22 says this. Here's the sprinkling. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's the sprinkling. So, when you were baptized... Your heart was sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ and the covenant was sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ and you're bound in a covenant with Him. You have an agreement with Him. Hebrews 10 and verse 16 says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them in their minds. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Now, let's read another text. 
Hebrews 9, 13 through 15 says, If the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh. So they, they took the blood of the heifers and so forth and the ashes. And they sprinkled the flesh when they were trying to purify it. For instance, when someone had leprosy and they, they went to the priest and the priest looked at the leprosy and saw that it was gone and they made their sacrifice. And then they took the ashes of a heifer and sprinkled on him so that he could be pure, purified. So he was recognizing that his body now was available to God, the body and the spirit. Okay. It says, If the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from evil works to serve the living God, or dead works. And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of the death of death for the transgressions, the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, we might have hope of eternal life. Okay. They which are called will receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Now, their covenant, that Old Testament covenant, could not deliver them from their sins. They had to repeat them. They couldn't say, okay, I offered a lamb today, spilled the blood for the sins I committed. I'm done. I'm done. No. You're done if you quit sinning. So you have to go back once you do it again. Once you recognize you've sinned, you've got to go back and offer another sacrifice. Once a year, the high priest went in and offered just for those that, that they didn't offer specific sacrifices for, he did for them. The atonement. It was called the atonement. That covenant could not deliver them from their sins or give them life. Our covenant with God, that's the beauty of it. It's a one-time deal. A one-time covenant. You take the oath, you get the agreement, and it's a one-time sacrifice for sins, and it's a one-time shedding of blood. Blood of Jesus. That's it. 2 Corinthians 3 at verse 6 says, He made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Did I forget something? I was going to tell you something, wasn't I? Cain and Abel. Why do you suppose God didn't want Cain's sacrifice? Why do you suppose they want the sacrifice? Cain offered him the fruit of the earth. How tough is that? I can get a bundle of bundle of corn together and bring it to God and say, Here, here's what I've got. Doesn't involve the heart, does it? Abel took a sacrifice that tore him up inside. He took a lamb. He took he took a, an offering that cost him. And the text says God had preference to Abel's sacrifice, not to Cain's. Well, God didn't just spring this on him. I'm sure Abel and Cain both knew the value of blood. God doesn't just say, okay, if you make a mistake, I'm going to get you for it. I'm sure, knowing God is a just God, and He's, he's a fair God, He is just and fair above all, that he explained what he wanted to both of these men. Cain said, I'm not going to do that. 
That's all, that's all there was to it. No, I'm not going to do that. Abel did it, even though it hurt him to do it. Even though it bothered him. He did it. Cain didn't. I'm not going to do it. There's another situation that sometimes will trouble people. There's a fellow by the name of Uzzah. U-Z-Z-A-H. Uzzah. David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back in from, from a, a, a site that they had left it at one time, trying to bring it back into Jerusalem. And so they they bought it. They got a cart that had never been had anything hauled on it, and they brought a couple of oxen that had never been uh, milked and so forth, fresh oxen. And they put the Ark of the Covenant on that cart. And as they were walking along and carrying it along, it started to tip over. And Uzzah reached up to steady it, and God killed him like that. Do you think he just did it? Or do you think Uzzah knew better? All those men knew better. They all knew better. They shouldn't have done it. He should not have done it. God doesn't sneak up on you and tell you something and then call you into account for it without fair warning. So he knew what he was doing. Cain knew what he was doing. When God takes vengeance on someone, they know why. These men knew. Two things. Two things. When blood is offered and life is spilled, hearts have to be softened. When Jesus came to this earth, you know what he said? You have hardened your hearts. That was the condemnation they had. Hebrews chapter 3 he said, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation. Don't, don't harden your heart. Jesus said, you've stopped your ears, you shut your shut your eyes, and your hearts have grown fat. Why? Because they just, it's a standoff. I'm not going to get that involved. Certainly not going to open myself up to God. Not going to do it. That's what they're saying. That's exactly what Paul told, told these people he talked to the last time he preached the sermon that we have any information on Acts chapter 26 and he said you've hardened your hearts you shut your eyes and close your ears and your hearts have become hardened why? because the sacrifice that they made to begin with of animal blood was not going to penetrate secondly when we think about blood we have to honor an agreement that was sealed by blood. Some people have not made that agreement. Some people have not given that oath. They've not said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, and not had their bodies washed with pure water. They just have said, no, I'm not in that agreement. But my friend, every one of you in this building this morning, you have made that agreement. And you've recited that oath. And the blood that was sprinkled on you and that covenant is unbroken and should stay unbroken. Let's think about blood. Let's think about it in these terms. Think about how it affects your heart. Think about how it affects your determination to keep your word with God. Let's stand and sing the song of invitation.